Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Bienvenidos, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. My name is Ben, and I am over the moon today because we get a chance to talk about one of my favorite books growing up. Hey, Ben, I'm Nolan. I uh, I have the song Return of the Mac stuck in my head because I just ate macaroni and cheese on our episode pause uh, for a quick uh, five-minute lunch. My kid made some, and I had a couple of bites, and all of a sudden, Return of the Mac is stuck in my head. I'm not going to sing it for copyright infringement reasons, but I hope it's in all of your heads, too. It's funny. You know, I had never actually heard that song, but I'll, I'll look it up after uh, after we record today. Uh, and there's our I, I see down here in our Zoom call, uh, you know, a blue sky super producer, Casey Pegram himself uh, with, you know, you've got the disappearing mic thing going on, too, man, which I think is a cool look. Yeah. If I if I shift my uh, my body in a certain direction and block the light, the mic appears to float in, in midair without a stand. And then if I move, you can kind of see the stand come in. But my background is a photo entitled Bliss, and it was the default wallpaper for Windows 98, I believe. The much maligned Windows 98. Was Windows, wasn't Windows Windows 98 maligned? Or that was Windows 2000 that was maligned, I think, wasn't it? I want to say, I, I think 98 was kind of buggy. ME, I think, was the one that everybody really, yeah. really hated. Uh, yes, Millennium Edition. Yeah, and the, the diehards of us instead ended up getting uh, Windows 2000 or mm. Windows XP or something That's like that. That's right. So, I remember uh, XP was okay. Okay. 2000 was good too. Okay, got it, got it. Got but it was it was it was meant for like uh more like professional enterprise kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but it just sort of ended up that everybody used it because ME was so buggy. ME was like the uh was like the new Coke or the clear Pepsi of Microsoft. Sadly, exactly, exactly. 
Wow, th- those OSs are all like twenty years old at this point. Oh man, people people listening to this are probably thinking, "What? What, what are, are you, you talking nerds about? talking What's about? What's an operating system?" <laughs> well, yeah. you get to the point. Ben was said he was over the moon about something. <laughs> what was you? Oh. What, what, tell us, Ben. Why are you over the moon again? Oh man, I'm so glad you asked. Yeah, uh, this is a story that takes us to. Don Quixote. Don Quixote, as many of us will remember, is the story of an eccentric man who believes that he is a knight. This is a fictional story, but it has a lot in common with the true story of uh, Emperor Norton of the United States, which I believe we did an earlier episode on. Anyway, Don Quixote, the eponymous uh, star of the show in this novel, goes on a a ton of misadventures because he is head over heels in love with Dulcinea. In the real world, Dulcinea is a peasant, uh, and Don Quixote is not exactly a a real-world knight. This was written by a guy named Miguel de Cervantes, and it's still a hugely popular book today. And today, you can see the whole story published as like one thing. But when it first came out in 1605, it was it was like the first half of the story. And then the second half was published in 1615. And our story takes place between those two volumes. And, and this one's a doozy. This is this is so cool. That's true, Ben. Uh, that's a pretty big gap, but it really speaks to how much of a blockbuster this thing was. Um, it's considered one of the first true great novels, you know? Uh, not the first. I believe there was a Japanese uh, one that was considered like the very first example of a novel. We have to remember that, you know, movable type was a relatively new development in the Western world. Johannes Gutenberg um, took uh, some methods that were uh, pioneered by the Chinese um, to create the printing press when he combined them with paper. Um, and, you know, obviously the Bible was the most popular early uh, use of the printing press um, and a different kind of political tracts and treatises and stuff like that. But the novel, like a full-length novel, was a relatively new thing. Um, Don Quixote really benefited from this ability to mass-produce printed works. Yeah, and this made it less expensive to become literate, to be able to read. So now that more people are reading, there's a bigger market for printed books. And this this cycle, luckily, still uh, is still in play today. Don Quixote, as a, as a story, as a publication, benefits from this. And it's funny because it's a little bit of a meta-narrative. And we'll explain what we mean by that in, in a little while. But let's talk about how much of a blockbuster this was. So it was first printed in 1605. Just 10 years later, there are more than 13,000 copies. Uh, getting some of this information from an excellent article on Smithsonian. Uh, Don Quixote, of course, originally written in Spanish, but it becomes popular as a foreign publication in other parts of the world, in Brussels, in Hamburg. Uh, there's an English translation, Shakespeare. Yes, that Shakespeare. Old Willie Shakespeare himself reads it, and he likes it so much that he apparently writes a play based on one of the stories in the novel, which is a neat fact that I did not know. 
Yeah, and I think it was lost, right? He, he supposedly co-wrote it with someone, which is interesting because that was not really a thing. Uh, he was, you know, there was some talk that Christopher Marlowe was potentially you know, actually Shakespeare, actually wrote some of Shakespeare's plays, etc. But you don't think of Shakespeare as being someone who like buddies up with a co-author. He's kind of a, a, a one-man band there. But yeah, he wrote uh, a play called Cardenio, um, which was based on one of those uh, kind of meta tales within Don Quixote. Uh, just to set it up really quickly, Ben, this is obviously a, a very important book for you in your life. I personally have not read the whole thing. I read the first several chapters as an assignment like in school, the one where he's talking about fighting the windmills and all of that. I think most people are familiar with, but I do not know the other tales. But um, there's a frame story where like a historian is sort of talking about finding the lost uh, you know, texts that reference this, uh, this story with in the story uh where does it go from there ben this is interesting at at the very end of that what would be the first volume of don quixote in 1605 there's this setup like you mentioned this very clever setup where a scholar has quote unquote uncovered these documents revealing the continued adventures of don quixote and the scholar says you know eventually i would love to publish them cervantes final words in this book, they translate to something like, you know, I'll finish them or quote, perhaps someone else will sing with a better plectrum. A plectrum is, you know, it's a pick mm-hmm. like a, like you would use a pick on a guitar. Sure. And, and so some people have kind of interpreted that message as an invitation from Cervantes himself to other authors to continue the story, which is, you know, it's a thing that could happen, but uh that that goes to one of the big questions was he asking was he really asking some other author to pick up the pen and take us further into the life of don quixote or was he just you know kind of styling on it at the end with a little mic drop either way somebody did take him up on what they saw as an invitation it's true, and and just just to backtrack ever so slightly, just to give you a sense of what a massive hit this was in the early days of uh, broad uh, printing distribution. Um, in the first edition, which I was trying to find, like I just I saw this in the research and was thinking, like, I wonder if you can get a 1605 first edition of Don Quixote. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably one of the most valuable, uh, you know, uh, rare books that you could you could own. But I couldn't even find a price. But I'm sure it's very very, uh, very precious. Um, but yeah, after that first edition in 1605, there were new editions printed uh, across Castile and Aragon, um, which created, you know, this isn't a huge number, but at the time, and considering the largely you know, there was manual parts of this printing situation. It was movable because it was movable by hand. Um, there were 13,500 copies within the first 10 years, and then it gained notoriety uh, outside of its native land, uh, is in places like Brussels, Milan and Hamburg in Germany. Uh, And then there was, of course, an English translation, and that's the one that Shakespeare got a hold of uh, that inspired him to write that lost play. But you're right, Ben. It does does have this sense that he's passing the baton in some way with that line about the uh, better plectrum or whatever. And somebody 
did take that quite literally, whether they were doing it in homage or as a straight ripoff to capitalize on the, uh, you know, absolute blockbuster success of Don Quixote, a gentleman by the name of Alfonso Fernandez de Avellaneda came out with, in that interim, uh, between um, the first and second, you know, installments of Don Quixote, of the Cervantes Don Quixote, uh, came out with a book called Segundo Tomo del Ingenicio Hidalgo Don Quixote de la Mancha. I hope I did that relative justice. And that yeah. came out, thanks, Ben, in 1614. Right. Like a year before the second uh, uh, installment, the Cervantes one. He's been, he'd been, he'd been working on this whole time. Um, <sighs> he just, you know, was taking his sweet time. That's, that's a long gap between books. But, you know, it takes a long time to write books. Genius cannot be forced. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Segundo tomo del Inocio Hidalgo Don Quixote de la Mancha just translates to the second volume of the ingenious Hidalgo Don Quixote of the mansion. So it's it, it's not the most creative title, but it doesn't need to be because the idea is that people will see this and they'll have read this book they love, and they'll immediately snap up the sequel. By the way, that Alonzo name, uh, that's probably a pen name, a pseudonym. The thing is, people were expecting this book, right? They had been expecting a sequel for nine years, kind of like all our uh, Song of Ice and Fire fans in the audience are still, like me, waiting for George R.R. R. Martin to publish Winds of Winter. George, if you're listening to the podcast, I hope you're using the quarantine time wisely. I was about to say, uh, no time like the present, George. Come on, man. Get, get her done. I did read it. There was a chapter of it that came out. It's, it, it, it seemed great. I'm really excited. Because, yeah. you know, I think everyone, I think, honestly, not to get too off, off track, uh, I probably to his benefit that people were so let down by the end of the series. So now he's got a chance to kind of redeem the franchise, you know, and really come out with the way that he wanted to end it. And God help him. If uh, he ends it in the exact same way, because that's just going to wow. Talk about. Oh, man. I mean, it's one thing to devote your time to a television series. It's another thing to devote your time to like these massive books where he describes plates of food for 20 pages. You know, I mean, Ooh. seriously, people are going to be pissed. Yeah, that series is one of the best examples of why I have a policy now of not reading fantasy series unless they're already complete. I, just, I can't deal with it anymore. The heartbreak. And that's the situation a lot of these fans of Don Quixote were in. They said, you know, we got to have something. Give us something, right? Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. 
Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The second Quixote book, what everybody believes the second Quixote book to be, is weird because first off, it's definitely unauthorized. And secondly, in the preface, there are personal attacks on Cervantes himself. Uh, they, they say you know bad things about the guy. And of course, word gets back around to Cervantes. He reads this and he gets PO'd. This grinds his gears. And this book starts being called The False Quixote. And, and Cervantes feels affronted. He's like, you know what? I made Quixote. This is my dude. I am the one who writes these stories. That's right. And, and, and you know, I was thinking about this, Ben. I'm sure you were too. The notion that we have today that we're so, you know, used to of intellectual property um, and, and like, you know, trademarking a character, for example, I don't think would have been in play at all, right? Mm -mm, it would have just no. been a matter of, uh, of decorum. <laughs> You know, it was poor form to do what this guy did, but probably not something that uh, Cervantes could have taken any actual legal recourse again. So instead, he, uh, being a man known for his wit, uh, decided to retaliate in the way that he was uh, most equipped to do, which was to write uh, this false Quixote idea into his true Quixote sequel. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Now, just I want to step back just a sec to give some context here. Uh, Cervantes, in addition to being an amazing writer, was also like continually broke. He wasn't uh, he, he wasn't super wealthy, just sort of uh, writing a novel on some kind of la di da vibe. Uh, he needed the novel to succeed to help him with his continual money problems. He even got put in prison one time on accusations of embezzlement or uh, defrauding the state. Would those be about the same thing? 
It depends, I guess. I mean, I think this, you can embezzle from anyone, but defrauding the state would be uh, like probably evading taxes or something like that, or maybe like cheating on his taxes, perhaps. Yeah, he was he was a tax collector. Oh, wow. Okay, got it. Was he a gambler or something? Did he have alcohol problems? What's his deal? Why was he always so, uh, so broke and, and uh, evading the law like that? Yeah, details are a little bit foggy for me on that part. At least I don't recollect it. I hope my English teachers aren't mad at me if you all listen to the show. Uh, But we do know that whatever the problem was, he definitely had money issues and he did not have the scratch, the pony bones, the cheddar or the moolah to fight this through legal means, whatever existed at the time. So instead, he wrote his own sequel and he, as you said, Noel, wove this irritation he felt into that sequel. He actually made Don Quixote defeat an imposter who was drawn from that unauthorized version. And in in his story, Quixote's false double shows up and Quixote has to, uh, you know, Quixote has to take care of him. And this is weird because we should say Cervantes didn't all of a sudden start writing this when he learned of the 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 fake sequel he had been writing this the entire time and he opens his own preface with like a diss track against this other thing saying quote gentle reader how eagerly must thou be looking forward to this preface expecting to find their retaliation scolding and abuse against the author of the second don quixote and then he just sort of like styles on him for a while and says, you know, this guy is going to get it. And the entire argument that he's having with himself gets aired out in the second novel. It's a really creative way to respond. Like, you see other authors, like maybe um, Stephen King is famous for, like, having critics kind of show up in his work. Right. But nowhere near as extreme as what Cervantes does. Well, and considering how close uh, the release of this false Quixote was to the release of the real one, he must have added this stuff in late in the game, right? Like, I mean, it's not like he was just, he didn't write his second one in response to this. He was already planning it because the first one ends on a cliffhanger. And like you said, he needed the scratch because he was experiencing extreme financial duress or whatever so he must have you know when he found out about this gotten so hopping mad that he decided to go in and tweak it a little bit um and it makes sense because the stories are kind of modular they can be there's there's multiple you know kind of self-contained stories and uh he was just able to add to, to one of them but i love i love the way he disses this guy in in the uh preface because he's basically saying like now it's been. It would be beneath me, a gentleman of my stature, to call names, and then proceeds to call names in the saying these are the <laughs> things that I won't do. Which I always love that approach. That's such a a, a fun backhanded way to to talk smack to somebody. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I love that style so much, and it still it still lands even today in twenty twenty. Like if this guy were here now, he'd be writing for last week tonight or the daily show. Uh Noel, I think we have we have a, a an excerpt here, right? This is the part that I really liked where he's like the, the whole backhanded like who me kind of thing where he goes, "Thou wouldst have me call him ass, fool, and malapert. But I have no such intention. Let his offense be his punishment. With his bread, let him eat it." And there's an end of it. But that's not what happens at all. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> he, he was not going to leave well enough alone, no. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So one of the things that really blew my mind 
when I first read it, is in the second volume, Don Quixote encounters like a form of celebrity. In the second half of what's published today as one volume, he meets characters who know him from the publication of the first book. And then in chapter 59, he learns of the rival sequel of Avineda's book. And he is livid. He's like, this is not how I am. This book does not portray me accurately. And from that point on, from chapter 59 on, he just keeps making fun of this book, like mercilessly. Yeah, one of the characters that he meets from from the the pretender, uh, Quixote, is a character named Don Alvaro Tarfe. And Quixote, in in the second installment, uh, makes him sign a a waiver or an affidavit attesting that the two have never met before. What? Which is is wonderful. <laughs> it's just this like yeah, he was really he was really uh, having a good time with this. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's funny because there are multiple examples of this, and you can imagine for people who read this book if they don't know about the the history behind this rival sequel, you can imagine how confusing it gets because now all of a sudden this is a story about a story and Don Quixote is having these like more money, more problems kind of situations. Uh, there's, there's one scene in chapter 70 where a character named Altisidora uh, recounts her journey. She's talking about traveling to hell and she sees some devils playing tennis with books instead of balls and she notices one book in particular we got we got a quote there too i think that's right. Uh, it says uh, one of them was a brand new, well-bound book. They gave such a stroke that they knocked the guts out of it and scattered the leaves about. Look what book that is, said one devil to another. And the other replied, it is second part of the history of Don Quixote of La Mancha. Uh, yeah, it's it's oh, oh, not not by Sid Hammett, which was the like the I guess the historian that's, that's referenced in the original Don Quixote. Isn't that right? Yeah, he's this scholar who is like, hey, I have more documents that'll be coming in the second book. Yeah, and then the other devil said, out of this with it and into the depths of hell with it, out of my sight. And the other devil said, is it so bad? And then, and then you got to do this one, Ben. This is great. So bad is it, said the first devil, that if I had set myself deliberately to make a worse, I could not have done it. Wonderful. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> Really, really fun. Uh, really making me want to read all three of these just to see what's what. Um, oh yeah, and then yeah, and then you know, like we were, I was getting at earlier, there really was no copyright law to speak of, and we have a little bit more uh, detail about that and how what that looked like at the time. Yeah. So, is this the best way to handle what is essentially fan fiction? I don't know. Maybe not, but it's like the coolest, funniest way. So I, I I'm, I'm, I'm not the best judge here. But Cervantes was still like about a century early to modern copyright law. Uh, You know, the thing called the Statute of Anne gets signed about 100 years later in England, not in Spain. And so at this point in his life, even if Cervantes had money to take someone to court somehow, he didn't have all the pieces that he needed. There wasn't a legal framework. He didn't know the real name of this cheeky author. And even if he could find them, you know, how would he pay legal fees? So instead, he went uber petty, and I approve because it made for some fantastic literature. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. That's the thing about the printing press. I mean, it was sort of a double-edged sword. Like on the one hand, if you were a, a writer with something to say and with ideas that that you know would benefit from a broad audience, you were able to do that for the first time ever, as opposed to the oral tradition, uh, where really so many of those stories had no um, ownership attached to them, and they were just passed down and changed. And and you know, there was never really even this idea of the author as celebrity, right? But on the other hand, it made it a lot easier to make copies of copies and you know without any copyright protection and that uh, you know statute of Anne you were talking about there was really no protection for people's ideas and it would be so easy for someone I mean I guess the technology was prohibitively expensive so everyone couldn't own a printing press obviously that but that was really the only protection you had if if some you know scrappy band of you know uh, bootleggers wanted to pitch in together and get a printing press or make one or whatever uh, they could and they could just copy other popular works and sell them the way people sell bootleg band t-shirts outside of the Coliseum, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 I've got one. Bookleggers. <laughs> so... Sorry. Love it. No, it's true. And it, that's absolutely what happened. And so, you know, it made Cervantes much more tuned into what the who the real enemy was. Um, mm. That it wasn't people copying the stories... It was the printers who just wanted to make money off other people's ideas. And they didn't care about, um, you know, robbing these folks who put their heart and soul into these creative works. They just wanted to make a buck. Uh, And again, it would have been folks that had money that could afford to start printers that would have been benefiting from this. So he uh, began to actually call out 
kind of this culture, call out print shop owners who were doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, Don Quixote calls out <laughs> the printers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he goes to, uh, there's spoilers, by the way. There's a scene in the second volume of Don Quixote where the main character goes into a print shop and is astounded by how terrible printers are. He says they're cheating authors, they're cheating translators. And in the story, Don Quixote, how how like uh, being John Malkovich is this? In the story, Don Quixote, Don Quixote finds in this print shop an unauthorized version of his actual life. And it's being printed while he's standing there. And he's like, oh, come on, guys. And he leaves. And th- this is weird because, you know, you think about it, isn't it kind of against Cervantes' interest to take a swing at publishers when they're literally the way he's going to get paid? Yeah, it's interesting. And, and if you want to read more about this and get a little more into the minutiae of this side of the story, I uh, highly recommend this article from the Smithsonian by Martin Puchner called How a Ripped-Off Sequel of Don Quixote Predicted Piracy in the Digital Age. Uh, it's, it's, it's outside the scope, I think, of this episode, but certainly a really interesting can of worms that was opened there and, and, a, and a double-edged sword, as all technology often is, like we see with, uh, you know, Things like Napster and uh, electronic, you know, copies of software and cracking things and being able to more or less steal. But it doesn't feel like stealing because you're not actually stealing it from a human. You know, you are just stealing an idea. Uh, so it's a lot easier to justify. Right. And I think that was really this really predicted that pretty intensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's funny because this extends to all media. You know, I, anybody, I was watching some old like VHS rips earlier, and I remembered with a tinge of nostalgia that FBI warning that pops up. Did, like when I saw that as a kid, I took that very seriously. I did, you know, by the time that uh, that old ad against piracy for movies came out, the one that was like, you wouldn't download a car, would you? By the time that came out, I felt like I might download a car. If I could, that was sure. the most interesting part of that PSA. But yeah, you're right. This has such an excellent relevance to today, to the world where we're moving beyond physical media into you know zeros and ones that you can send back and forth across the world. So hats off, you know, to Cervantes. I wish more people would handle piracy this way. I wouldn't that be like, I don't know. We don't, we don't have as much creative piracy i want to say here in the u.s like there's not an unauthorized avengers coming out a revengers yeah well well, no no, actually that's not entirely true ben there's this company called the uh what are they called? Um, the Asylum, who makes these movies called Mockbusters. The straight uh, to video guys. The straight yeah. to video guys. So, but but they really do genuinely capitalize uh, back in the days of video stores, especially I guess now in terms of browsing thumbnails of people having brand confusion. So instead of Transformers, they've got Transmorphers, and instead of snakes on a plane, they've got snakes on a train, and it's just different enough that someone might accidentally rent the wrong one uh, and these are the folks that are responsible i believe for like the sharknado movies or maybe it was like mega shark versus giant squid or stuff like that but total schlockmeisters but that to me is is a relatively interesting form of plagiarism yeah yeah especially uh i can't be the only one who has seen 
so many of those on Netflix. You know what I mean? They're all over the place. Netflix is very much like the video streaming version of that meme where the parent says, we can't eat out, we have food at home. And then you look over at the movie that's food at home and it's like the Revengers or Spirit Slappers. Or exact something. Spirit Slappers. I love it. But yeah, Cervantes, you know, uh, he... He kind of felt a little burned by all of this, and he was obviously a really smart, witty uh, fellow, and he decided to unequivocally kill off his character. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, because, again, I I haven't read this, and I really want to, because this sounds... I didn't realize how kind of trippy and meta the whole thing is so i'm super looking forward to digging into this uh for maybe my quarantine reading um but yeah he he made it he left no room for there to be a sequel and completely closed the book uh, on uh, on don quixote uh close the book uh Totally stole that from a blog post, by the way. So just uh, <laughs> don't accuse me of plagiarizing nypl.org slash blog slash 2015 slash 04 slash 22 slash case dash false dash Quixote. Ridiculous history, folks. Come for the uh, historical headline, but do please stay for our quarantine crowd work. Uh, I, you know, there's one interesting theory. I think, I, I think this is a good like speculative note maybe to end on for today. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but we still don't know, and we probably never really will know, who the author of that unauthorized sequel is. Some historians have argued that it may have been Cervantes himself. What? Yeah, that he may have been having this, this weird PR stunt. I don't think that's super likely, but if so, it is Genius. brilliant. Yeah, right? man. Wow. Manufacturing a beef with yourself, with a made-up <laughs> version of yourself, and then writing it into... Oh, my God. The more I think about it, Ben, I, I want to believe that that's true. I don't even care about the evidence. I'm just going to choose to believe that that's true, because that is fantastic. And did Cervantes write anything else, or was he, that was, he was kind of a one-and-done guy? He was just so influential with that one work that he just kind of faded out. Uh, he wrote a lot of uh, food reviews uh, and f- furniture reviews. Really? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have no. believed that. He, he did. Uh, he's you know, by far best known for Don Quixote, but he wrote a number of other things as well, um, including poems. Uh, he was apparently not a super great poet, kind of like uh, Ernest Hemingway. You know what I mean? His gift was more for prose. I mean, let's be real, kind of like 90% of quote-unquote poets. So, Yeah. This yeah. Hot, hot take there. You got to be real good to make poetry work. I'm just putting that out there. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've often I've often said uh the same thing. Your your estimation is actually more generous than mine, uh just to be honest. Uh, but when but when you get to that 10%, poetry's amazing. It's just it just so happens that Cervantes was not an amazing poet, but he wrote uh he wrote farces, he wrote other stories, uh he wrote dialogues. Uh he he was prolific, you know. He was prolific. Uh, he was super petty. I think he and Oscar Wilde would have been great friends until they inevitably uh, fell out over probably over some kind of pun, you know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was a punishing beef. Nope. 
It's fine. No, no, that was good. That's no, good. no, I, I, people we're, can't we're, see it, but I was nodding. You were nodding, and I, I was nodding at your last quip as well, Ben. So I just don't want anybody to think that we don't have each other's backs here with our bad humor. Um, but yeah, this is a great story, man. And the thing is, that really leads me to believe that maybe it really was him. That it was just like a like a, 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 a elaborate publicity stunt. No one would have even known about this in history if it hadn't have been for him making such a to do about it and writing it in <laughs> to his own work and name dropping it you know every turn uh so really hats off to him for not only you know having the most clever way of responding to kind of being ripped off but for like kind of also big upping the rip offer and sort of like making him kind of stand the test of time and and, and have schmucks like us talking about him yeah that's a good point it's kind of like uh to go back to the disc mixtape example uh one thing that a lot of celebrities in the world of hip-hop do is uh, is gain notoriety and attention by sort of manufacturing conflicts, you know. And if you're an up and coming MC for a long time, the best path to success was to uh, was to insult an established rapper and then have them mention you on their album because that's so much free publicity. So I'm with you there, Noel. I would also like to believe that Cervantes did this entire thing himself. I don't know if it's true, but boy, I, I, I wish it was. Uh, this brings our tale for today to a close. What do, what do you think, folks? Let us know. Do you think Cervantes kind of ran uh, a con on everybody in the literary world of the time? Or do you think that he really was responding sincerely to uh, a counterfeiting attempt? Yeah, let us know what you think. You can write to us at ridiculous at iheartradio.com. You can check us out on Facebook. And uh, please do join our Facebook group, The Ridiculous Historians, where there's always uh, good memery and chit-chat to be had. And and, and, uh, Ben and I will occasionally lurk in there and pop into the comments from time to time. So all you have to do to get in is name one of the three of us uh, or just say something humorous. Uh, or let us know that you, you know, actually uh, listen to the show and aren't a Russian bot like Gabe Luzier. I'm just kidding. We've established that he's, in fact, a real person. Uh, big thanks to him, our research associate extraordinaire, who will be appearing on the show very soon. Uh, huge thanks to super producer Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. And as always, a thank you to another character you can see lurking around our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians, the one and only Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Uh, if you if you summon him, he might show up. But then again, we may show up too. We also want to thank, as always, Eve's Jeffcoat. Shout out to Cheryl Crow. Glad we glad we squashed that beef. Uh, shout out to uh, Cervantes himself. Uh, shout out to Don Quixote and uh, Noel. Thanks and shout out to you. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. 
True story, the intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time, special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.